You are listening to Epic Church San Francisco's podcast. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Hey, if you're coming in, come on in. You're not super late to the service. We've only done one song so far. It's a communion Sunday for us, which means we'll put some more musical worship back on the back end of the teaching. And so uh, don't need to get up and leave if you're just here for the music. Hang on. Uh, We will get there eventually, I promise. Hey, do you ever find yourself in one of those situations and you literally have no clue what to do? Do you ever, anybody like daily find yourself in a situation and you just have no idea? Well, a week ago I had one of these moments and everything that's about to come out of my mouth is the truth, okay? Hopefully that's true all the time, but I promise for the next three or four minutes, everything out of my lips is truth. So I had one of those moments last Sunday night. Tim, who you just met, our executive pastor, he and I had to be in a conference at, uh, at a conference in Atlanta by about mid-morning Monday. Well, since we've gone to the three-service format on Sundays, the only time we can fly out to get to some anywhere around the U.S., at least far away, by mid-morning Monday, is to take the red-eye flight. Uh, by the way, uh, you'll know why in a moment, but I will never do that again, promise. So uh, you can hold me accountable for a lot of things, and that's one of them. Never let your pastor go on a flight that leaves after 10 p.m. again. Everybody commit to that? And you'll know why in just a moment. Um, Sunday is one of those days. I don't know what your day is. What's like your worst day? Like you come home and that's just the day. Like you can't think straight. You don't make decisions. Your emotions are unbalanced. What is your day? I know it's seven days a week for many of you, but just pick a day. Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday. Well, good thing God spread all of our days out so he can listen to each of us. On our particular day. Well, Sunday's that day for me. It is just exhausting. Um, uh, don't hold anything against me that I say after our three services on Sunday. Uh, I don't trust my emotions ever on a Sunday evening. Um, uh, I, I just don't. And so it's already bad enough that Tim and I have to take an 1140 flight to Atlanta, uh, due to arrive in Atlanta, 714 Monday morning a.m., which would be 414 San Francisco time. And so already dreading it. We're going through security. I'm like, why am I not on my pillow? I mean, what's the problem here? I need to be in bed uh, for the sake of... Uh, of myself, for everyone around me, for the people that I'm going to see tomorrow at this conference. And so, um, so I am in, uh, so it's three seats across. Uh, I'm in 30C right on the aisle. Tim is in 30B. Uh, he's whining about how come uh, he has the middle seat. And I'm like, dude, when I get to be 153 pounds like you, I'll take the middle seat. And, uh, and, and so we take off and, you know, we're, I, I can sleep. I promise you, this is true. I can sleep Anytime when I'm on an airplane in the daytime, but I cannot sleep on an airplane overnight. It's just true. I don't know why. I just know that that's absolutely the truth for me. Um, afternoons, I'm just conked out, whatever. Um, and so about an hour into the flight, Tim goes by me and says, hey, man, I need to go use the restroom. And a lot of time comes back that even if he, like, you know, had issues in the restroom, he still should have been back to the seat by that time. But he's not back. And so I look towards the back of the plane to see where Tim is. And Tim is literally sitting like this up against the back of the plane in the aisle. And he's got a wet towel over his neck. I'm like, this is terrible. Because to be honest, I was missing being away from my kids. But sometimes it's good to have a break just from being a dad. But when I saw that in the back of the plane, I knew my, my, my daddy thing is about to go on with Tim. Because the boy needs... He looks helpless. So I go back there. I'm like, man, are you okay? He's like, no, I'm not. Um, he's, he's, <laughs> he's nauseous. He's pale. And he's drinking a Coke. For some reason that was a good idea. I, I don't know. I, ginger ale is the way I always go on an airplane. Only on an airplane, but always on an airplane for me, ginger ale. So I go back to my seat, and the stewardess comes um, back to me. By this time, I've moved to the middle seat, so that by the time we're landing, Tim will take the, the aisle seat that I originally uh, was assigned. And so the stewardess comes back to me, and she's serious. She had a nursing background. She says, sir, are you his boss? I said, well, we like to call ourselves friends, but I guess technically, yes, I am his boss. 
She said, well, when this plane lands, do not get off and do not let him get off. We're going to have a wheelchair for him. It looks like he's about to pass out. He's very pale. When this plane lands, do not get off. We'll have a wheelchair waiting, and then you guys can go from there. I'm like, it was already the worst. Just like going onto an airplane at midnight, the worst already. And now I've got to do more for Tim than I do for my three sons on a daily basis. I'm a, and I'm, I'm fearful, just to be honest. And so I'm like, and I can't sleep. It's terrible. So I moved to this middle seat, and I'm like, oh, just, can I just rest? Could this just happen? Certainly Tim will be able to walk once we land in Atlanta at a Mm, ungodly time. And so about, I don't know, we're an hour and a half, two hours from landing. There's a man in his 60s walking down the plane. Remember, there's an empty seat right here. That's key. 30C is now empty. I'm in 30B. And this guy collapses. And then he's backwards up against the aisle. And they think he's dead. Seriously think he's dead. So they start slapping him. Nothing. Finally, he comes to, he says, I'm okay, I'm okay. They sit him in 30C, all right? (laughs) It's a full flight. So many reasons I'm upset at Tim at this moment. They <laughs> sit this guy in. He comes to. He says, I'm all right, I'm all right. And he tries to get up there. like, no, sir, you need to stay down. He passes out again. I'm like, oh, man. And I'm just trying to get nervous here. You're about to hear a lot of negligence from your pastor, okay? Um, I'm going to spiritually care for you, but I'm not going to physically ever care for any of you. Um, I just don't, I can't do it. It's, it. I'm weak in the knees. And so the guy comes to, but then he passes out again, and he starts leaning on me. And I've got to make a decision. Now, they're not getting on the PA saying, hey, could we please get a doctor or a nurse? She's telling people. And remember, it's 3 or 4 a.m., depending on which time zone we were in at the time. Um, she's telling people to go run and find a nurse or a doctor anywhere on the airplane. And so they're coming. Before you hear of my negligence, know that there's just all kinds of medical personnel coming from the back and the front of the airplane, people getting up. Um, but then the guy, as he passes out the third time, he starts leaning into me. I'm like, I don't know about you. I was exhausted. It had been a Sunday. I wasn't going to end it by someone dying on me. I just wasn't, uh, I went up for that. So literally, I've got to make a move. And this is probably not the best thing to do. I should have been listening to the instructions before we took off. Um, I start climbing over my seat. And I climb over my seat. Luckily, a, a, a lady that had sat in, uh, I guess it would have been 31C, she had gotten up to go get a doctor or a nurse. Her seat was open. I step into her seat. And then I just run to the back of the airplane. Later, Tim would tell me, he said, I had, what, what, like, because I'm going back there, right? And I mean, no longer is Tim patient number one. Uh, I am, not the other guy either. Uh, So I run back there, and he's like, man, what were you doing climbing over the seat? You know, he thinks he's seeing things. And uh, anyway, um, they make me take the guy's seat because he was in an exit row. This is all just middle of the night, just terrible. I could tell you some other things, uh, but uh, at least if it was just guys, I could tell you some other things. Um, So I'll make the rest of you guys wonder about what that was. So finally, we do land, and they do have the wheelchair, and Tim can't do anything for himself. He literally cannot do anything for himself. And so we have a wheelchair. uh, There's an employee at the Atlanta airport that wills him. You know, I'm just kind of along, like I'm just, you know, doing the dad thing. And uh, finally, we get to the rental car place where it's time to go down the elevator. And the employee says, um, I I can't go with you anymore. You can have the wheelchair. I just can't go with you. So I'm now willing Tim uh, down to our rental car, getting him in. Um, They put us in a Mustang. So Tim's complaining because he can't lay down in the back of the Mustang. And no, I didn't pay the upgrade. I just asked for the free Monday morning special after you've just went through hell on the airplane. Special. That's all I was looking for. All right. That's the only discount I wanted. And, uh, Tim, and so, like, normally he would be great for the, for the Mustang, but he wanted some SUV or station wagon so he could lay down in the back and get to the hotel. Tim literally spends entire conference in the hotel in bed. So he flies on an airplane. He lays in bed at the Hilton. He flies home on an airplane. That's all Tim does. That is all that he does. And so, um, but it's one of those things where I had no idea what to do. I had never been in that situation before. I'm going to put some parameters, some boundaries in my life so I never get into that situation again. I'm going to go do a CPR class or something soon. Um, 
But it was one of those things where I had no idea what to do. And, you know, sometimes whether you've been doing the church thing for a while or you're brand new to church in general or just to our church, the faith thing can be confusing, right? You see things on TV and you're like, is that what the Christianity thing is about? Or you read things or some of you that stay up way too late, you have a guy on the TV that tells you if you touch the screen, here comes a few thousand dollars. Um, if you'll buy that, by the way, I need your email address and uh, we've got a plan for you. It's a be- much better deal. Uh, you don't even have to touch the screen. You can just send the money. It's awesome. Um, and so there can be a lot of things that are confusing. And what we want to do as staff and leadership here at Epic over the next several weeks is really just talk about what are some possible or potential next steps for you and I in our faith. Like, what are some things? And, and while I don't think that Jesus, like following Jesus is the easiest thing any of us will ever do, I do think sometimes there's a lot greater clarity in the scriptures than there is kind of in the world. I mean, we begin to wonder, does, does being a Christian mean I have to line up with this political party? Or, or, or does being a Christian mean I have to stop doing this? Or does it mean I have to do that? And I, I and I just think we could bring some greater clarity than some of us have. And so um, I want to I do that. What we've been saying over the last month is that God is a sending God. That God doesn't send you and I, though it seems random to us. God doesn't send us places on accident. He doesn't do it randomly. He does it with purpose. And so if you're wondering, like, what am I even doing here this morning? God is a sending God. I don't know. You may think that your spouse just drug you here this morning or that you couldn't find anything better to do or because the giants are out of town today. Whatever reason you think you're here, we believe that God is a sending God and that he does so with intentionality and that he does so with purpose. Two weeks ago, we looked at when the first century church in Jerusalem, things are going well, church is multiplying, and then those who came against the church caused great persecution to break out. And so what happened, you had Christian leaders kind of moving about to the northwest, east, and south. And we read a story two weeks ago about a man named Philip who was scattered to uh, a town in Samaria, and he begins to speak about the gospel of Jesus, and he begins to display the gospel of Jesus by his deeds, by his actions. And it said because of his influence and because of what God did through him, there was much joy in that city. Um, I won't ask you if you remember that because that'll lead to my insecurities. And uh, but I know it's a profound message for you guys, and I'm just reviewing it with you. Um, well, this morning, what I want to do, staying in Acts chapter eight, is look at another encounter that Philip had um, with a certain individual. So, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter eight. If you need a Bible, just lift your hand. We've got great volunteers walking the aisles right now. They'll place a Bible in your hands. If you own one of those gift Bibles that we give out, or if you're receiving one now, page five ninety six. For the rest of us, Acts sits between the Gospel of John and the book of Romans. Acts chapter 8, we'll start in verse 26, whenever you guys are able to to arrive at that place. And I really want you to see what happens in this particular encounter with Philip and a man that you'll meet in just a moment. And I want you to begin thinking, what is keeping you from taking your next step in your faith journey with Jesus? What is keeping you, what is holding you back from taking your next step in your faith experience or journey and process with Jesus. So would you guys stand with me? We'll read Acts chapter 8. Starting in verse 26, we'll go through 40. A lot of verses I know. Don't check out. I think the story moves quite swiftly along, and and, uh, we don't want to miss any of the components of this story. So remember, Philip's just going about sharing his faith, and here's a particular encounter. So 26 through 40 of Acts chapter 8. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. 
So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You may be seated. I wanted to read all of that because I think we won't get the weight of all that goes down in this occurrence unless we get the whole of the story. And here's what's really cool. What what God used Philip to do for this eunuch, it is our prayer that God will use our church to do in your life. We are not here simply to have an outlet to come to on Sunday, just to have a place where we can feel good. And maybe our parents, we think it'll, it'll give us points with them if we show up, or maybe we'll get to meet people. We want those things to happen, but we want to be a church that just like God used Philip to help this eunuch, we want to be a church that helps you. And really in particular, over the next several weeks, we're just going to be throwing some potential or possible next steps out there. And your next step this morning, hear this. Every one of us in this room is at a different point along the spiritual or the faith continuum. We all are. And so what we're going to say at the end, though we'll have some specific focuses, we're not going to just say, hey, all of us need to do this thing or all of us need to do this thing. But what we are going to say is, hey, there's a next step. Whether you're just beginning this process or you've been doing it for years, none of us have arrived yet. And so there's a next step for every one of us to take. And let's figure out what it is that we need to take. In fact, in this story, you see Philip taking his next step, right? The spirit says, hey, go talk to this man. And then you also see the eunuch taking his next step. What I want to say to you is what is your next step and what is keeping you from taking it? It could be a lot of things. We'll talk about some specific things, but it could be your next step is you need to be reconciled in a relationship that you have. Your next step may be baptism. That's some of our focus for this morning. Your next step may be to start giving, not just of your money, but of your time, and to become generous with your neighbors or people that are involved in this church or people outside this church. Your next step may be that you need to be involved in serving some organization in our community. I don't know what the next step in your faith process is, but I want to be someone in your life who says to you and allows you to say to me, hey, let's, let's take our next step, whatever that is, right? Because um, we want to be a church not um, that, that already has it all figured out, because I don't, and I assume no one else does in this room, but we do want to be a church that's moving forward. We believe that God is a God of progress, and I don't mean that in a sense of just historical development. I mean that he wants to, to, to see progress in our lives, that we might become the kind of men and the kind of women that Jesus intended for us to be. That's our aim here at Epic. And as you see what's going on with Philip and the eunuch, the Spirit says, hey, go talk to this guy. Go join his chariot. You see that in verse 29? In verse 30, Philip runs to him. He's eager to follow God with his next step. He runs to him, and he he hears the eunuch reading Isaiah the prophet. And you'll see in just a moment what part of Isaiah the eunuch's reading. But Philip just asked this great question. You see, sometimes we make it very complicated, don't we? 
like, maybe you've been in a church, I've been in churches, and it's just like, to really understand how to take your next step, you have to take 12 weeks of classes, and you've got to fill out all these forms, and you've got to find the brochure, and then you've got to take the test, and if you pass the test, you can go on, and there are some things you and I need to know, but what does Philip do? He just says, do you get what you're reading? So it's like, how do we disciple people? How do we lead people? Sometimes just learn how to ask really good questions. He says to him, do you get what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch, you know, some of us are, see, some of us are way too arrogant sometimes to admit what we don't know, right? The eunuch could have said, um, of course I understand what I'm reading. But he says, how, how can I unless someone guides me? I hope every one of this Every one of us in this room, either in a present or past way, we have had other people in the faith influence us and guide us, right? In fact, guys, I'm not on the stage if God hadn't put other people in my life, not just in the past, but presently. You're not going to take the next steps that God wants you to take in your life unless God uses people to do that. Every one of us in this room, I think when the process is working beautifully, we all have people steps ahead of us in the faith that are leading us. Yes, pastor included. And we have people that maybe aren't quite where we are on the faith. And so we're, we're receiving here and we're giving here. I really think that's the perfect model for what it looks like to do life. We need people that are steps ahead of us in faith. I think we need people who are behind us in the faith, right? God wants us to receive. He also wants us to give. And sometimes when we're only doing one or the other, we're missing out on what I think God's intention is for us throughout the growth maturing process. And so he just says, how can I know unless someone guides me? And it says that he invites Philip to come up and sit with him on the chariot. And, and it says that Philip begins here. You'll see this in verse 30. Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, the one from Isaiah that we'll reference in a moment. Beginning with Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. He, he begins with where the eunuch is. And here's a beautiful reality. Wherever you're at on the continuum of faith, wherever you are at on the spectrum of your faith process or journey, know this. God always starts with where we are. God always starts with where we are. He always does, right? I mean, you get this right off the bat with Romans 5a when it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He starts with where you are this morning. So wherever you are, and here's what's awesome too. We don't have to pretend with God that we're somewhere we're actually not, okay? It's probably not gonna be, um, we're probably not going to fool God, right? Like when you get one of those things, they're like, hey, where are you at in your faith? One to 10, 10 to the, like you're the most mature Christian. You're like, oh, of course, God's like, yeah, you are. I was thinking six and a half, but 10, go for it, you know, um, wh whatever it is. But God starts with us where we are. And he, he says to the eunuch, what are you reading? And he says, you know, he starts with that. And then he gives him the gospel of Jesus. Now, what's interesting, and remember, I don't think God does things randomly or just coincidentally, but the guy, the eunuch is reading from Isaiah chapter 53. If you've never um, examined that chapter in the Bible, there, there, there's few uh, texts, I think, weightier than what Isaiah 53 says. I want you to see part of it. And just get the picture in your mind that this is the whole of what the eunuch is reading. Isaiah chapter 53, 3 through 6. I'll show you guys on the screen what it says. Because remember what the eunuch says. Is, is the prophet Isaiah referring to himself? Or is he talking about someone else? See if, see if you can guess who this is. Re remember, if, if you're new to church or, or you've been doing the church thing a while, um, Jesus will be the answer like 83% of the time, okay? So when the question's asked, who's he talking about? I'm just giving you guys a little heads up, all right? Uh, kind of cheating, but, but you'll get it. Here's what he says. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says. That, and, and this is the part of the passage that this guy brings into question, 3 through 6 of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's pretty incredible that when the Spirit sends Philip over to the eunuch, he just so happens to be reading this passage about our great suffering servant, Jesus. And he says, hey, who does Isaiah talk about here? Who is he referring to? And then I love, Philip says, hey, I'm starting right here with what you're reading. And then he ends up telling him the good news of Jesus Christ, this beautiful process. What he ends up telling him is the gospel. And how do we know this? That is what the good news of Jesus is. It is this gospel proclamation, this gospel message of Jesus, the good news that, 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 that compares, nothing, nothing else compares to. How do we know Philip's doing that? Because remember where we were a couple of weeks ago when Philip, he's proclaiming Jesus in Samaria. What does verse 40 in Acts chapter 8 end with? As he passed through, he preached the what? Verse 40, he preached the gospel or the good news. This is what Philip's life was about. And so we can conclude very easily by this text and seeing what Philip did before this encounter, what he's going to do after this encounter, what Philip did was share the gospel. What's the gospel? Essentially this. Remember, we've made things very complicated. Here's the gospel. A holy God creates mankind in his image. Mankind rebels against God. As Isaiah the prophet would say it, we have each gone our own way. We have chosen to go our own way, right? And in going our own way, every one of us have sinned. And in our sin, sin demands punishment. Sin, the wages of sin is spiritual death, alienation and separation from God. But the gospel doesn't end there. Otherwise, it wouldn't be good news, would it? I mean, nobody would be clapping for a great condemnation and punishment. It's the gospel because on God's initiative, Jesus voluntarily comes in. His initiative bears the weight of my sin and your sin, endures our punishment. And Isaiah would tell us, Jesus gets wounded for my sin and your sin, and you and I get to go free because of his wounds. And people are like, oh, I don't, I don't get it, Ben. I thought I had to do these 15 things. The gospel is the good news that when you and I couldn't save ourselves, God initiates the salvation process. God initiates the reconciliation process. Isn't that incredible? Jesus gets beaten for our sin, and from his beatings, from his wounds, you and I get this spiritual healing. Not a bad deal. Show me a better exchange rate. And so when some of you in this room, when somebody says to you, well, hey, do you, are you a religious person, or do you consider yourself a Christian be real careful what you base your answer on. If it's just, yeah, I kind of grew up in a Christian family, that's not sufficient. If it's just, yeah, I, I tend to have the Judeo-Christian values, uh-uh. Do you get the gospel that you and I walked out on God? That God runs after us. The story of the prodigal son, Luke 15, is just one beautiful way to, to display it. And Jesus bears the weight of my sin and your sin and the punishment of it. He gets what we deserve, and he offers us what only he actually deserves, his righteousness. Do you know, regardless of what you say, regardless of what you've been taught, you and I do not have a relationship with God unless it goes through the Son? You're like, well, no, Ben, I pray. To who? Jesus came to suffer. This is his initiative. This is his intention to redeem you, to buy you back, to restore you so that you and I might have a relationship with God the Father. Have you ever crossed the line of faith? And I don't mean have you been in our church for a while or you're in a small group or have you even done some mission trips with us? 
Have you crossed the line of faith? I get to sit down with many of you and over lunch or coffee or breakfast, you'll say, yeah, I'm still considering this. And there's others of you here that I haven't had the privilege of even being introduced to yet. But have you, have you crossed the line of faith? And I understand there's no rush here this morning. You're still checking this thing out. But I do have this question. What is preventing you or keeping you from crossing the line of faith? Placing your faith in Jesus. Like Ben, but I grew up going to the church. Insufficient. But I do good things. Insufficient. This is, this is the heart of Christianity, what we've just said. See, so many of us, I think, are confused about what this idea means. Some of us think that uh, to be Christian is to uh, be involved in this politics situation, political situation or that political situation. Some of us think it's to be very religious. Some of us thinks that, think that we, we need to perform well enough so that that holy God we talk about will love and accept us. And if we just do a few more good things, then I'm sure we're going to be in with him. Some of us think it's that. Some of us think that this is primarily about a list of do's and don'ts, though when Jesus transforms us, there will be things we'll want to do hopefully more of and, and things we'll do less of or none of. But that's not what this is about. Here's what it's about, the suffering Savior who was wounded because of your sin, not because of bad men that crucified him. Is that what it looked like on the surface? Absolutely. But he was wounded for my sin and for your sin, and by those wounds, you and I get healing. If you've never stepped across the line of faith, and what better day to do it than this morning? And so we know that the eunuch does this. And Remember, a lot of the conversation in the Scripture, they don't give us all the things that you might want to know. Um, sometimes I get accused of being overly detail-oriented. Anybody else? Like, I ask the question, why, where, how? Um, and so, like, my friends will come out, many of you in this room, you'll come out of a job interview, and you'll be like, generally, it went well. I was like, well, what was the interviewer wearing? And what was the hardest question? And they, did they give you any feedback? And, and, and what, was it, what, were the, what were the nonverbal cues? And, and people were like, dude, I don't know. I mean, I think it went well. That's all I got. I'm like, oh, give me some details or tell me exactly verbatim. What did it say? And, um, you know, I, I'm just a super detail-oriented uh, person. Um, but, but in crossing the line of faith, you and I, we don't have to know all the details, but you can know that there's a God who loves you deeply since Jesus for you. A lot of times some of the details are not included. In the, I, I wish we could hear the whole conversation between Philip and the eunuch. It just says that Philip begins where uh, the eunuch's reading in Isaiah 53, and he ends up by telling him the good news. And then uh, we, we know that there was some other conversation. Otherwise, the, the rest of it would be weird, right? Like, he tells him the good news, period. Uh, and the eunuch says, there's some water. Why don't we jump in together and you dunk me? That would be weird, right? There had to be some more conversation than just, let's dive into the water together. Let me put you under, and then we'll go on our way. There's got to be more going on than that, right? There must have been some moment in which the eunuch understood the significance of baptism. And we, I'm going to give you a few things that we see in the scriptures that will tell us why it's so significant. And I don't know if all of these were included, but here are some potential things that could have been said and that you can hear this morning. And I'll, and I'll give you some places to kind of back, back up the significance of baptism. One significant thing about baptism is that Jesus modeled it. So even though he was the son of God, he allowed himself to be baptized just as really symbolism of, of this new way, this new covenant, this new life that he was bringing in. Secondly, Jesus commanded it. We said the, old, the Great Commission last week where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And know this, I am with you even until the end of the age. And so Jesus modeled it. Jesus commanded it. It's one of these beautiful things that identifies us with Jesus. And here's what's really cool. This has been a principle. This has been an event, an occurrence that has been identifying Christians with Jesus for the last couple thousand years. 
It's not a new game we're introducing you to this morning. It's something that Christians have done for the last couple of thousand years. And the big deal about baptism is that it's this outward demonstration of what Christ has done inside of us. And so um, when you're like, what is that all about? Well, well, what that is, when we take you under the water, that represent, uh, represent, it's representative of uh, your old life being dead and, and, and Jesus cleansing us and then bringing us up is representing, it's displaying the new life that we have in Jesus. That's what really the baptism piece is about, this outward expression of what Christ has done on the inside of us. And people will ask all the time, Ben, is it necessary for me to be baptized to be a Christian? Is it necessary for you to be a Christian? No. Is it necessary for us to um, walk in obedience as Christians? Absolutely. And so some of you have been Christians a long time, and for whatever reason, there's been things preventing you from taking this step. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing baptisms at all three of our services. And if this is something that you've been considering or you're considering as of hearing this this morning, please let us know by marking it on your card. You've got a baptism card in your program. You can look at that. There's some, a website there. Uh, you can see video and some forms and things like that. If that's something you want to do, again, the next couple of weeks. And if, if those weeks don't work for you, we'll do it at another time, all right? Like if you're out of town. Now, now don't be out of town the next two weeks to avoid this. But if you have to be out of town the next couple of weeks, let us know when would be a time that would work, work well for you. And this isn't just about like, hey, everybody needs to do this. Everybody in this room doesn't need to do this. But what is it you need to do in regards to faith this morning? I love seeing Philip and the eunuch both taking their next step. Do you see it in that passage? It's, it's really cool because sometimes we go, well, do all of us need to do this one thing or do all of us need to do that one thing? There are some collective things we need to do together, but some of you, you've been baptized. So what's your next step? I don't know, but I think it's listening to God's spirit and taking that step and following him. Philip hears the spirit say, go to the chariot. That's all that we, that's all that's recorded, right? Go to the chariot. He goes to the chariot and the rest kind of makes sense from there. This guy's reading a passage in the scriptures. He wants it explained. Philip explains it. The guy responds to the gospel. He takes a step of baptism to identify himself with Jesus. And if that's a step you need to take, let us know. So really, out of this story alone, there's three steps we see. And again, your step could be none of these three or multiple ones of these three. We see Philip being obedient to where God has sent him. Are you doing that? Is there a step you need to take? And I, I don't want us just to think of a geographical destination. It could be a relational destination that's a step of obedience. It could be a vocational destination that you need to take a step, a step toward, right? I don't know what God has uniquely for you. I think there's some things he has for all of us, but what is the step you need to take? Maybe it is for the first time ever this morning to respond by placing your faith in Jesus, having clearly heard the gospel, and, and you're like, Ben, I think I've got that. Well, l- let's make sure that you clearly understand what's at stake here. You can let us know by marking that on your card, or maybe in the next couple of weeks, your step is baptism. I don't know what it is. Again, probably the next six or seven weeks, we'll be laying out, hey, this could be a potential step for you. Let's bring clarity to the steps that Jesus would call us to take in following him, and I want to help you do that. You know, in addition to baptism, really the other sacrament that Jesus left us with is something we're about to observe as well. We call it communion. You may have heard it referred to the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, but um, you know, there's really these two, these two sacraments, and they both symbolize the same thing about what Jesus has done for us, the baptism I just explained. And in a minute, we'll have a couple of our leaders standing over here, and you'll be able to receive the bread, dip it into the cup, and, and take communion. And the big idea is it's representing uh, Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was spilled out or poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus institutes this, just like he instituted uh, the Christian baptism. And, and, and he says, do this as often as you remember me. And if, if you're a Christian, whether you've been one for a long time or you just became one in these moments this morning, this is an invitation for you. 
if you're still checking things out or you're still not to that point in your faith, I would love for you just to observe what's going on and think about what we just read in Isaiah 53. And as you see the bread, just think about Jesus' body being broken and you see the cup filled. Think about his blood being poured out, being wounded for your sins so that you might get his righteousness and healing from his wounds. Just a beautiful picture. In a moment, we'll do that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then our band will come back up. There'll be about three songs that we'll do during this communion time, so there's no rush. You may sit and reflect where you're seated this morning. You may stand and sing. Um, You may pray where you are. Uh, You can use this space to pray or the back of the room if you feel like you need to kind of be alone or, or whatever that might look like. And then when you're ready, we'll just line up along that wall receive the communion elements from our leaders here, and then you can, you can come back and be seated and continue to sing or pray or reflect. But I want to say this, whether you haven't listened to anything I've said all day, what we want to do for you in these moments, we can't do alone. We're asking God to show up in these next several moments, asking God to do something in your heart. We can't make it happen. We've tried to be faithful to what God's led us to do, but what we can do is say, hey, there's a space that's been created. The rest of your week may be really busy, You may be thinking already about what you've got to do or where you're going to lunch, but let's just pause in these moments and ask God to meet us here in a spiritual and a significant, present way. Let's just see what he'll do in our hearts. If you're in the room and you're kind of trying to push away some of those promptings you're feeling this morning, I just want to encourage you not to. Don't reject God's spirit and what he's seeking to do in your heart even this morning. I'll pray for us. The band will be here, and you guys can respond appropriately. You have plenty of time to do so.